Today we're talking about being behind enemy lines. And um, I don't know about you, but I, as, a, as a, a fan of my kids playing sports, when my girls played basketball and all my three older daughters played basketball in high school, uh, I remember one particular time uh, I went to the opposing team's gym and I sat down and I knew that our section, you know, our fans were supposed to sit behind the bench. However, our coach seemed to have a trouble with me offering advice to my daughter as she played basketball. Uh, you know, go figure. I don't know what that was about. But anyway, so instead of sitting behind the bench where I felt a little constricted, I decided I would sit on the other side of the gym. And it just so happened to be in the middle of the student section. I didn't know this at the time, but all of a sudden, all these other kids, you know, I have my uh, sweatshirt with our team logo on it, and then everybody came in around me, and they were all youth. And I, I got the impression from them that they felt I was being a bit intrusive. It was stuff they said, like, hey, Hick, go to that side, stuff like that. You know, I picked up on some uh, some signals. And so... Um, I thought I would, you know, calm the situation a bit. So I just said to them, hey, see number 15, that's my daughter. That, that's who I'm cheering for. And they said, well, your side is over there, buddy. Some, and it was some 16-year-old pimple-faced punk. You know, it was, it was a, your side's over there, buddy. To, to which I said, well, my side's right here now, my brother. I mean, it was, I said it in the love of Jesus. I mean, I really did. And I can't remember if we won or not, but I do remember thinking, <laughs> if looks could kill, I'm, I'm kind of dead. Um, it reminded me of a time I was about 20, or early 20s, my best friend Mike Wilson. Now, I, I've told stories about Mike before. Mike and I decided we wanted to go to a University of Kentucky football game. There's really no reason to ever go to a University of Kentucky football game uh, other than there might be some chicks there. I, I'm pretty sure it's probably what we were doing. And we had a friend who lived in Knoxville who had connections, and he got us tickets to University of Kentucky versus University of Tennessee. The year was, and, and Tennessee Stadium, I don't know if you've been there, it's huge. Seats 104,000 or something. What's it called? Neyland, that's right, Neyland, huge. Now, we're so young, we don't know that our Tennessee connection guy probably got us seats in the Tennessee section. But he did. Now, we're 22, 23, I mean, we're just dumb. We're dumb as a stick. When you're 23, you're just dumb. And so uh, we had our Kentucky gear on, and we show up, and, and it is like we, 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 we were the only blue thing in a sea of orange. Hundreds of thousands of people, and there are two of us. I mean, the only other blue people that we saw were on the other end of the stadium. That's where they put the Kentucky people. Now, it was sort of good-hearted uh, at the beginning because they knew we couldn't beat them. We never beat them. There were 20-something years in a row we don't win against them. We're just not going to win. And so they were yucking it up with us, and we were having a good time. And we scored a touchdown, and they, they gave us that, that kind of, oh, bless your hearts. That is so cute. I mean, that's kind of the way they were treating us. You all are just cute. You're just cute. Then it was fourth quarter. And I looked at the scoreboard. It was Kentucky 17, Tennessee 12. Now, all of a sudden, the attitude changed in my section. 
Um, I knew it had changed when I got hit with a soggy hot dog bun. I, I knew at that point uh, things were going bad for us. Now, my, my team was winning. It's bad when your team is winning and you're scared to cheer, but that's kind of where we found ourselves. Um, the clock was ticking down, <laughs> and I said to Mike, who was whimpering like a wet pup, I, I mean, uh, he is pathetic. He's still pathetic. And, and uh, uh, I said, dude, I think it would be wise of us. <laughs> we're not real smart, but we're this smart. Uh, I think it would be really wise of us to leave right now uh, before this is over. And we, we sort of watched the end of the game from the from the you know from the railing because we were scared to sit where we were sitting because we were behind enemy lines. Now th- those are really ridiculous illustrations, but people who go to war, men and women who have fought in Afghanistan and and places, I mean, when they talk about being behind enemy lines, for them it's deadly serious. I mean, they they there's nothing funny about it. And what we have to understand, and our big idea, and we're going to unpack this all day today, is that we as followers of Jesus are living in a, in a world that really isn't to be our home. Um, and Paul sort of talks about this in Philippians today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be toward the end of chapter 1. I think it's verses 27, 8, 9, and 10, uh, 27, 28, 30, I think is where we are. 27, I believe, is where we're going to kind of hover mostly. But it's deadly serious, and we have to understand that what we're into right now as followers of Jesus is deadly serious. Now, there's a verse around this. Paul didn't write this. Paul wrote the book of Philippians, and he's going to be the guy we look at today. But there was a guy named Peter, one of Jesus' best friends, and he wrote, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, uh, I... I really, really enjoy those television shows about guys who live in the woods. I love them. There's Dual Survivor. Oh, I love that. There's a show called Alone on the History Channel. Uh, there's, uh, uh, let me see, um, Mountain Men. Oh, I, I like this show because I can watch it from the comfort of my uh, living room eating snacks that I got out of the pantry. Now, these guys, they've got to make fire out of sticks they're killing stuff and skinning stuff and eating stuff. And, you know, they're eating grubs. And I'm thinking, that's about like chili and cornbread. Horrible. And, you know, uh, so, uh, uh, but they're eating stuff, you know. And, and I, I love to watch it from the comfort of my living room. Now, the funny thing is, every once in a while, occasionally, they'll chat about predators. Now, if you don't have a gun, if you don't have a way of protecting yourself, then... Predators can be sort of dangerous, kind of like this picture. So you, you hear these guys talk about we have to be careful because uh, there are pre- we're, we're not the top of the food chain. You hear that a lot, that, that expression. I love that expression. We're not the top of the food chain out here. And it could be a mountain lion or it could be a lion if they're on safari or it could be a lot of times it's about bear or cougar or that sort of thing. We're not at the top of the food chain. We're, we're, we're in a ferocious uh, environment. Uh, we're in an inhospitable environment. And we need to understand that bad things could happen to us. Now, when Peter writes this verse, let me show it to you again. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
what, what he's saying is we, we have to be aware that we live in a world that is somewhat inhospitable to us. Now, there's another text. Another guy wrote, a fellow named John, again, another great friend of Jesus. And he said, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Translation, this world is not our home. Ultimately, we have a destination in heaven. There's something better. There's something different. Don't get too attached to this because this could lead you astray. And then he goes on. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from our Father, but are from the world. So this this whole message of being behind enemy lines and being cautious and being aware and being alert, we see it often in Scripture. And so today we're going to unpack a text that Paul talks about the exact same thing. Let me remind you. Paul writes to a church that he had started. So he plants this church. He goes, after a while, he installs some leadership there. He goes to a new place. Well, he's writing to them from prison. He had gone away and he had been arrested, falsely accused, and now he's in prison and he writes this letter back to his friends in Philippi, this church, and we have the letter called Philippians. And so he gives us sort of three things that we should do as people who live as uh, uh, people in an inhospitable world, we, we are behind enemy lines. So he says, um, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So since we live behind enemy lines, we must be distinctive. And, and we're going to kind of look at this verse a lot today. In fact, it's a long verse. This is sort of the first part of that verse. Above all else, this is what... You should do. Now, understand something. Um, Rome was the mega power, the ultimate sort of uh, biggest, baddest kid on the block uh, government in the world. They had Caesars, and their influence continued to spread throughout. Now, one of the things Rome did was it established uh, colonies or... um, territories, they, they set up places, um, uh, towns, that resembled Rome, even though it wasn't even near Rome. And Philippi was one of these places. Um, the United States has something like this. We have, um, like, Samoa is under uh, United States rule. Uh, Guam is under United States rule. Um, um, Costa Rica is, I think, under United States rule. So, well, Puerto Rico, I should say. We, we have some places, the U.S. Virgin Islands. They are sort of American entities not attached to America. Well, Rome had this, and Philippi was one of those places. And it was, um, it was Roman. They, they used Latin. That was the language of Rome. It wasn't necessarily the language of that area, but they were Roman. They dressed like Romans. They acted like Romans. They knew what it was like to be in a different environment, but to maintain Romanness. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, above all else, understand something. You know what it's like to live as foreigners in a different land and maintain your identity. Well, since you know what that's about, your ultimate identity is a citizen of heaven. And you have to maintain this this 
knowledge of being a citizen of heaven. Now, there was trouble brewing in, in Rome. You, you had these Caesars. Uh, Augustus was the first one. And when Jesus was born, there was a Caesar. His name was Augustus. And people began to say about Augustus that he was a god. He, he was a god. And worthy of worship. Now, I don't believe Caesar in reading about Caesar ever believed he was a god, but it was beneficial as a ruler for people to think you're God. Hey, it kind of works for you. The, the, the Caesars after him, I believe, began to buy the hype. Uh, there, there was one called Nero. You've heard of Nero, Caligula, Domitian. Uh, as they went along, these guys got more perverse. Uh, they, they were, these guys were wicked. I mean, they were r- wicked. We, we modern day, we think of Hitler, think of all those, Nero and, and Caligula and, and Domitian. These guys were, were wicked people. And they demanded worship. And one of the ways they demanded worship, now it was super simple. They demanded you worship them as a god. And one of the ways you did that was you took a pinch of salt, not much, and you would offer it in a flame as a sacrifice to the Caesar. This was what they expected. Now, as a Christian, you had a choice to make. Am I going to to do this or not? Am I going to... It doesn't mean anything to me. I don't really think he's God. But in order to stay out of trouble, I'm going to do this. I mean, that was the, the debate in their minds was, do I do this? Because God knows I don't think this guy's a God. I don't think the Caesar's a God. However, 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 somebody that saw you do it, saw you offer that pinch of salt into the fire, would certainly, could certainly come to the conclusion that you believe this. I mean, you're preaching that you believe that there is one God and Jesus is his son. And yet, on the other hand, on the other side of your, your face, you're saying you believe that Caesar is God. You see the dilemma? What am I going to do in this situation? And this language is really strong. Above all, whatever you do, you must live as citizens of heaven. If you do nothing else, this is what he's talking about. If you were to say to me, now I'm no expert in Switzerland. My wife is Swiss, knows much more about Switzerland than I do. But I've been three times. It's a beautiful place. And if you were to say to me, hey, Joseph, um, we're planning on going to Switzerland. I would say, oh, 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 above all, you need to, to visit the tower at the Santis Mountain. I mean, look at that thing. It, it is amazing. And you ride this cable car. Let me see if I can figure out my little... Oh, look. There's a cable car. You, you kind of go right there. It is scary. You ride this cable car. Not cable car. Is, is that right? A, tr- a trammy looking thing. Uh, you're in a, basically, you're in a death trap and you go up the mountain. Uh, it's awesome. And you get to the top of this and it's... You can see six countries from there. And you can hear, you know, the Swiss have lots of cattle and, and they put these great big bells on their necks. And, and you can get up there and you can hear the, the, the clanging of the bells 
you don't know where it's coming from because it's so far away. It's just super cool. So if you were to say to me, hey, I'm going to Switzerland, I would say, oh, above all else, if you do nothing else, you need to go to the Santis. It it is amazing. If you were to say, hey, I'm going to go to Danville, Kentucky, your hometown, I would say, oh, above all else, go to Burke's Bakery. It's the greatest. They serve butterflake rolls. I don't know if you've ever had one of those. They they are just south of heaven. It's the best thing ever. Um, they, They serve spice bar cookies. I mean, your knees wobble when you eat them. It's that good. I would say if, if, if you do nothing else in Danville, and there's really nothing else to do in Danville, go to Burke's Bakery. It is the best. If you were to say, I'm going to be around that area, I would say, hey, if nothing else, go, go to for sales. Visit the horse farms. Just drive. Just look at them. Because they, they have these white fences and these horses that are worth millions of dollars in barns that are cleaner than your house. I mean, it's just amazing. If nothing else, if nothing else, above all, you should do this. When we moved to South Carolina, people said, oh, uh, if you do nothing else, uh, go to Charleston. Visit Charleston. It is amazing. It's great. My hiker friends say, "If, if nothing else, go to Table Rock. Uh, people who love me have said, if, whatever you do, stay out of Slater, uh, Marietta. I mean, there, there's... Uh, uh, so, when Paul is saying, above all else, you should do this. He's saying you should live as citizens of heaven, above all else. You must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of Christ, the good news of Christ. Now, we, we don't always know what that means, or we've tried to figure out what does it mean to, above all else, live as citizens of heaven. And so, sometimes we, we end up with, with rules, because we can know how to keep rules, and rules are kind of a checklist issue, and, and I can know if I've done this, and so, you know, you know that old saying... I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. You know, stuff like that. We can kind of get okay with, okay, this is stuff I don't do. There, there are you know, places where um, it depends. Uh, the rule was you um, guys had to have short hair. Girls had to have long hair. There, there are some churches that talk about uh, or make a rule where women can't wear makeup. Fortunately, they're okay with the lights being dim. Uh, you know, there's stuff like that. Um, some of you got that. That's funny. Uh, there's, uh, uh, there are some churches in eastern Kentucky, BYOS, bring your own snake. Uh, you know, there, there's some rules about stuff like that. Growing up for us, it was like no PDA, no public dis- uh, display of affection. That was a big one. And we had a you know, church bus because everybody had a church bus. And I'll never forget the scandal when Bobby kissed Brenda on the mouth on the church bus. And they were married. I mean, it was a big deal. So it's easy for us to get into rules, you know. What's the rule so I can be distinctive? Other people have gone to ritual. And I don't want to knock ritual. I think rituals are awesome. I mean, they're... Lent is kind of a ritual. It's a cool thing. You give something up. I've given up uh, cheering for Duke uh, for Lent. Uh, So... uh, uh, 
and, and eating cheese. So uh, really for me, it's really quite the sacrifice. But, it, you know, there are rituals and, and it's easy to get into stuff like, like that. And the, the problem is, these things that were meant to increase our connection to God, rituals and rules, sometimes take the place of a relationship, which is really where God wants us to be. Above all else, he's saying, you've got to live distinctively. Jesus gave us the answer. Um, They'll know you're Christians by your love for one another. How we love other people. Now, the verse goes on. Then, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I'll know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. There's this notion of of helping one another and rallying together. I heard about a judge in Pensacola, Florida, who, when he would get drunk drivers in his court, he would... Uh, required that they, once they served their time, that they would have to put a bumper sticker on their cars that said, um, how's my driving? The judge wants to know. And his idea around this was, I want this to be a community thing. I, I want the community to monitor you, not just law enforcement. Well, think about this from the perspective of being a follower of Christ. If we were to create a bumper sticker, how's my living, Uh, my church wants to know. I mean, how would it change the way you drove? How would it change us? Because remember, above all, we're, we're to be distinctive. We're to conduct ourselves differently than other people. How would your driving change if you lived a distinctive life? Because I can tell you this, the natural way to drive, at least for me, is to be aggressive and unforgiving. I, I was, this morning, I mean, it's funny how God gives you stuff, even on the day of a sermon. I'm driving to, to church. There are six people on Wade Hampton for about 500 miles. I mean, there's nobody on Wade Hampton. There's nobody out there. It was just that time of day. Nobody was there yet. So I turn off Reed School Road right up here. I take a left. There's nobody behind me. And some dude over here on the right, pulling out of the storage units, decides to pull in front of me. Can I get a witness? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Now, at this point, this morning, hour and a half ago, God was basically saying to me, you know, you hear God. God said, okay, so how are you going to behave? Because I've got two options. I could speed up, because I know that's what you would do. Uh, I could speed up and then hit the horn and make that guy feel like a jerk, which he is. He deserves it. He shouldn't have pulled out. There's nobody behind me. Wait three seconds and pull. I, I, couldn't, I could do that. That's an option. I could make him feel bad. I have a choice. God gives me free will. I I can do this. Or I can get out of the gas a little bit, let the guy go on and be done with it. Forget about it. Use it as a sermon illustration. I had a choice. I chose to blow the horn. But uh, 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 
I, I really didn't. I, I didn't. I didn't because I, I felt like, you know what? What if my driving was distinctive? What if I were, was gracious with people? What if I wasn't in so much of a hurry like everybody else seems to be? What if we just help people? What if we show a little grace? Because really, the guy, he made a mistake. What did he need? Did he need somebody blowing the horn at him? Or did he need a little grace? It's Sunday morning. You know what he would have thought if I had blown my horn at him? Stinking Christian. Right? Who's out on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock? Ain't nobody but Christians out at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. Everybody else is sleeping in. You know he would have known. That's why I have, uh, um, follow me to to First Baptist Taylor's on my car, Uh, just in case. Strategery, Uh, that's why that is. So you have to realize, look, people are judging us. I mean, if you let it be known that you are a citizen of heaven, that, that you have accepted the grace, the good news about Christ, if people know that, now, I'm a preacher, they know it. I, I, got, I got nothing. They know it. And, and so, our heavenly Father... Uh, Our Savior's reputation is at stake by the way we live. Um, Do you all know who this is? That's the turtle man. You know where he's from? Kentucky. Yeah, they ain't helping us. They ain't helping us at all. You have to understand. Sometimes we're not helping the cause, right? James puts it this way. Understand this. Brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness God desires. When, when Paul writes this text, above all, you must live in a, a, as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. That, that little expression, in a manner worthy of, is a Greek word, axios. It, it means you're on a scale. And I love the way the Greek language is very visual. And what he's saying is, on this scale, Jesus is in one of those little pots, whatever it is, little containers, and you're in the other. And if you live in a manner worthy, then it should be the same. Jesus, the way Jesus would behave should be the exact same way that you behave. It should be equal. We should be balanced because his reputation is at stake. So first, above all else, we're to live a life that is distinctive. The second thing is we work together to do this. The second half of Philippians 1.27 I will know that you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith. Sort of militaristic language he's using there. If all else, then you're you're living this way and it's sort of a, you're you're in this thing together. Uh, There's some 
cooperation that's involved. I, I read a cute little story about a guy named Bill Buckner. He was in the Afghan, uh, one of the a- Afghan conflicts, and he came home. He's on 30-day leave. He was living with his parents. The parents had to cut one simple rule, and that is you can stay out. It's okay, but when you come home at night, you have to let us know you're home. <laughs> this is what he writes about it. After one long evening with friends, I crept into the house and didn't knock on my parents' door. Late the next morning when I came down for breakfast, my mother glared at me with an icy silence. Look, Mom, I said, I'm sorry I didn't tell you I'd gotten home safely last night, but what did you all do all that time when I was in Afghanistan? Well, she said, at least we knew where you were. Okay. When you're in mama's house under mama's rules, it requires some cooperation. We help each other live distinctive lives. We, we encourage one another. We um, help. We're to help. Uh, when I was many years ago, I, I can't remember, early 80s probably, um, I became enamored with the Tour de France. I don't know if anybody ever seen that. Um, I actually got to, we got to go to a stage one, one time when we were in... Uh, Switzerland last time we were there visiting Miriam's people the Tour de France actually came really really close to, to Switzerland and we went and it's it's amazing it's awesome and I, I Greg Lamond was the guy I kind of got interested in and that was a long time ago and he was the first American to win the tour and really the only American ever win the tour because uh, Lance Armstrong has now been stripped of the seven titles he had but they they do this thing where they all clump together it's called the peloton it's a French word uh, the word means um, to get into a ball, which is kind of what they do. Now, when they get in this group like this, they, they, are, they cut the drag, they call it the drag, up to 40% every once in a while in the Tour de France. There'll be a breakaway pack of three or four. They'll get way ahead. You know, they talk in kilometers. I don't know what that means. But anyway, they get way ahead. They're like 20 kilometers ahead. I think that's six feet. And they're way ahead. They're way, way ahead. And they're, they're pedaling their little legs off, right? They're pedaling they're their little legs off. And then behind them is the peloton. Like 100 guys, 150 guys, bunches of them. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, this breakaway, it's awesome. Because those three or four, they're going to get away and nobody's going to catch them. But not so much. Depending on the, the length of the race, and the stages have different lengths, but depending on the length of the race, this particular race, almost every time, it's almost every time, the peloton will catch them. Because working together as a large group just works better. Above all else, we're to work together as a group. We, we do it in a couple of ways. We... We support one another. We serve one another. Right now we have people in children's ministry serving us who have kids. My daughter's back there. I have people back here who serve. You serve, many of you, on a, every third month back here with our kids on that side of the wall. Because we, we serve one another. We have people who lead small groups. We have folks who uh, serve as greeters. We have people who help it check in. We have folks who um, help us with our bagels on Sunday and coffee. And we, we, have, we just have 
people who volunteer, we serve each other. We look for opportunities to serve. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. Part of being in, in a church family is that we take care of one another. Finally, one last thing. Since we're behind enemy lines, we're to be distinctive and we're to help one another, but we're also to anticipate resistance. In America, we haven't had a lot of resistance the last 200 years. You, you see more of it now than you've ever seen before. It, it, it is what it is. I mean, understand something. There are people for the last 200 years who have lived under persecution who are Christians. There are people today who risk life, their very lives, to follow Jesus. So if somebody tweets something you don't like or puts something on Facebook you don't like, it's not the end of the world. It really isn't persecution. There's real persecution. Uh, you should visit a website called Voice of the Martyrs. If you want to read about real persecution and what real Christians who, have, who face death every day go through, then that's where you should go. Don't be so offended. Look, look, look at this verse. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemy. They will be a, this will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. Look, you're on the winning team. It's okay. Four, you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You've seen my struggles in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. This guy is writing from prison. He's like, hey, look. Look, don't be intimidated. In, in John, First uh, John, John writes, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is, how we this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has, no, has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We can live with confidence. So Paul is saying, hey, there's, there's a reason to, to not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Number one, it's an honor to follow Christ. It's an honor. Now, I, I love this time of year. March is my favorite time. I love basketball. I, I love Kentucky basketball. I love to watch the games. I've been watching. I, I have been binging on basketball this weekend. It's been Great. I, this is my favorite weekend of the year is when the NCAA tournament starts. Now, on a basketball team, it's interesting. This is super interesting. Kentucky, I'll, I'll just use Kentucky. That's the one I know best. We've got players that play. We've got players that don't play. We have walk-ons from Kentucky who never play. Three, three different groups, right? You've got basically future NBA guys. Guys who thought they were NBA guys but aren't. Guys from Kentucky who just are happy to be in a Kentucky jersey. Now, at the end of the year, nearly every year, some of these middle guys transfer. These guys go to the pros. These guys have to consider, okay, there's new, there's new guys, NBA guys coming up. i got to figure out if I want to be here or not. And so, last year we had a guy transfer. We're probably going to have a guy or two transfer this year. You know who never transfers? These guys. 
They never transfer. These guys are from Kentucky. They get to wear a Kentucky jersey, which is what every boy in Kentucky wants when they grow up. They never transfer. Because it is an honor to just make the team. When, when we realize it is an honor just to be on the team, it, it changes the way we think. We're not doing God a favor. He's done us a favor. <laughs> we, we get to be on the team. And, and then the second thing he talks about is it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. And you talk about something foreign to us. Oh my goodness. Foreign. We, we live in a world that's we're addicted to pain avoidance. We don't want to hurt. And yet, there were people in that world, in that time. Listen, many people believe Philippians was written early 60 AD. There's a guy named Nero that's coming along. I'm going to tell you a story about him in just a second. But it's going to get bad. Christianity was really persecuted. And, and Jesus talked about Hey, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice. Be glad. You, you get to be considered on my team. And when people talk bad about you for being on my team, you should rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Don't consider it a bad thing. Paul writes this in 60 A.D. I talked about Nero a minute ago. In about 64, 65, 66, 67, mid-60 A.D., Nero decides he wants to renovate Rome. And so he just sets fire to it. I mean, what better way uh, (laughs) to have an opportunity to redo than to burn your house down? He sets fire to it. Now, the citizenry of Rome didn't appreciate the fact that their houses had been burned down. And Nero was taking a little flack. And so he decides he would blame, I don't know, Christians. Because it made sense. Nobody liked Christians anyway. So now Christians are beginning to be persecuted, 67 AD, by all of Rome. Because they were labeled as arsonists and cannibals. And I mean, you talk about, they because of their... Uh, Adherence to taking the Lord's Supper. They were called cannibals. and I, I mean, none of it was true. It doesn't make, truth of an allegation doesn't matter. It's how much people believe it. And they began to be persecuted. Nero rounded up Christians. They had the, the games in the Colosseum. And these games, you know, gladi- gladiators and those sorts of things. One, one of the fun little things Nero decided to do was he would arrest Christians and then he would sew onto them the skins of animals and have them in the Colosseum and then release ravenous lions, dogs, who would attack these people and rip them to pieces for sport. He had these amazing gardens But at night, you couldn't see the gardens. So some of these Christians that he rounded up, they put on a a jacket soaked in pitch 
and they impaled these followers of Christ on poles in the garden and set them afire. When Paul says, above all else, live distinctively, remembering what Christ has done for you, and it is an honor to serve Him, and it is an honor even to suffer for Him. I don't know if he prophetically knew what was coming, but it was sure prophetic in what he said. If he intended to be prophetic or not, but he was. In a world where we're increasingly feeling as Christians put upon, understand something. There's probably never a verse that could apply to us better than for Paul to write to us these words today. Above all else, whatever you do, live distinctively, even when it doesn't feel like it's going your way or that society has turned against you. Above all else, remember it is an honor to receive the grace of God and it is a privilege to suffer for Him. This was the message for Paul to his friends at Philippi and for God to us today. Father, we thank you for, I don't know if this is encouraging or discouraging, encourages us to stand tall, but it also reminds us that we're behind enemy lines and this world isn't our home. And we're thankful that not only have you given us salvation, but you give us strength to endure difficulties. And just as our Christian brothers and sisters centuries ago were persecuted and mauled and set on fire for their faith, I pray that we would have the courage of our convictions, that we would be strong in our faith, that we would be willing to suffer. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.